Oh, okay. So my name is Philippe, uh, Philippe Cocard. I am a 13th generation winemaker, grew up in Beaujolais, which is southeast corner of France, south of Burgundy, where the best wine in the world are made. Um, my grandpa grew grapes my, with my uncles. Uh, my dad was a vineyard consultant his entire life, so I worked with all aspects of winemaking, um, grape growing, uh, and was taught at a very young age how to prune grapevines. My grandmother gave me a pruner for Christmas uh, at age 14, so there you go. Um, and uh, always been um, attracted to the wine business. It wasn't quite what I wanted to do at age 16, 17, 18, but kind of uh, fell back into it and uh, in love with it. And I'm Celine Cobert Lenners. I am Philippe's daughter, and I'm one of the winemakers here. I've been a winemaker here a little over 10 years, and before that, I grew up here running around through the vineyards, playing in the gravel, making piles anywhere I could, um, but mostly eating grapes and then helping squeeze the floors in my little purple boots that my mother saved. And so um, as part of the family business, um, it's not just me, there's a whole bunch of others of us that you'll meet throughout the series, but this today is with the winemakers, part of Wallersheim Radio. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, and watch us on YouTube as well. You can like, subscribe, and share, and please leave a review so that we can get seen by more people and more people who are interested in this uh, subject matter. So, so yeah, for me. Let's talk about what's going on right now. Today's weather. Mm -hmm. It is February twenty eighth, twenty twenty four. And we had some weird weather yesterday and today. So yesterday, I was wearing a t-shirt in the vineyard, breaking a sweat. Yeah, you were joking about a heat index. Yeah, I called, I called our uh, uh, HR manager and said, Hey, Marcus, is there a heat index today? As a joke, because it's February. And it was very pleasant, but it was too warm. And uh, today, the temperature dropped 57 degrees, and this morning it was 12. And actually, I'm not worried about the 12. I'm not worried about the swing. Uh, we, as a family and in the industry, uh, have been worried about this warm, warm spring. The fact that there is no frost in the ground. With the frost in the ground, it's a big ice cube keeping it nice and cool. And uh, it's not happening right now. So uh, the worry is that uh, the vines are getting uh, the wrong message that it will be time to grow. And looking at it with Bruce, our vineyard manager, um, the buds have started. Mm -hmm. And that's scary. Um, so they're swelling just a little bit. Just a little nice bit. And tight. Exactly. They are not as tight as they once were. And uh, so it's a concern. Uh, I'm afraid that we are uh, aiming for a repeat of last year. 
where we will have where when we will have early bud break, swell buds that can freeze at 25 degrees Fahrenheit. So so it, it's a scary thought, and um, uh, we are going to experiment with a coating spray that is like a blanket on the on the buds and the shoots. Something we've never done before. Um, we have temporarily interrupted pruning, uh, so uh, late pruning delays bud break. Uh, so with you, Celine, with my brother in Italy, uh, sadly, I don't have my dad anymore to rely on for advice. Um, and with Bruce, the vineyard manager, we all agreed that, okay, let's take a break. Let's wait until uh, middle of March uh, to restart pruning, uh, hoping to delay the bud break on all the fields where we lost a lot last year. Yeah, and we started pruning end of January, right? Yes, we did. And we always start with the whites as a matter of getting uh, the function and the muscle and and uh, the memory uh, going back into um, how to prune. Um, anybody can pick grapes, anybody can do uh, uh, cluster thinning, shoot combing, leaf removal, but not anybody can prune. You know, I mean, I taught you, I taught everybody here on site, I do was taught. Do you want to talk about why we prune and what we're doing and maybe our outlook for the next, for this year, for the next year, and health mm. of the vine in the future? Yeah, so pruning is not only today. Uh, pruning is uh, for the lifetime of the vine, and every, every vine has to be pruned every year. Some people think that, oh, I've pruned it last year or three years ago. No, it, it's every year. And... The way you have to learn is um, how the vine looks. If a vine is very healthy, well, you're going to leave enough buds on the vine to have a nice crop. If the vine is showing weakness, sickly, then you cannot load that vine. You're going to kill it. So, um, so you just go back and you hope for the, the vine to um, rejuvenate uh, a new, fresh, uh, breath of fresh air. Um, uh, so pruning is tricky. Pruning is not easy. Um, it certainly can be taught. It's nothing fast. Um, and it's something we pay a great deal of attention. You know, number of buds per spur, per shoots, per vines, per acre, and that should translate into an approximate tonnage per acre. So let's say you want a lot of brandy juice, you want a blush wine, you can leave more buds because we are not so concerned with the concentration. On the other end, a domain du sac, domain reserve, where you want concentration, depth, complexity, then you decrease the number of buds less cluster per shoots, less cluster per vines, more concentration. So it's a, yeah, you do have to count, you do have to check, you know, just be like, oh, 
and don't walk away. You know, sometimes you have to step back, step back and, and take a second look at it. Yeah, and so we're setting the crop load field by field, maybe stat wine style or particular wines that we have in mind by field. But what about, so last year when we had the freeze of our primary buds, we still had some secondary fruit. But we're thinking ahead to next year too and about bud positions for fruit for the next year too, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. So, you know, if there's a tiny little shoots that is in the right place, but you know it's not going to leave, give you a lot of fruit, well, you make a point of leaving that little shoot, even so it's maybe tiny, because it's a position, it's a good position, you know, like fingers on a vine, it's a good position on the vine. So you have to look ahead and, you know, sometimes you have to think, okay, this year I'm pruning it this way. I'm hoping to have an extension here next year. I really need to train a new trunk. So we maybe flag this in blue tape, like, okay, we need a sucker from the bottom. Uh, to rejuvenate the trunk because it's getting weak. Uh, so you, you pruning for pruning of to, pruning of today will affect the vine for the next four or five years. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you mentioned your Gromer giving mm. you your first pruners. Mm -hmm. Is that when you first learned to prune or who taught you and how old? So pruning was, I think pruning was, I mean, I was driving a tractor uh, in the fields, moving the tractor from one field to the other from like 13, 14, Is that at 15, Tonton Jean. Um, the pruning was, I remember vividly, uh, age 14. Uh, and uh, I think the very first vines was with my dad, with your grandpère, um, right outside of the backyard. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, you step out of the backyard, then there's a vineyard, and then we prune a few vines uh, with, with my dad. And were those vines, even the ones that are still left, were those planted before you were born? Or? Oh, they were planted, oh, I think... Uh, I bet you they were planted um, sometime in the 40s, 1940s. Uh, it had to be before 1950s, uh, maybe 1930s. I mean, they were oh, they were getting old vines. Uh, and it, yeah, I mean, they were anywhere from 70, 80 years old vines. And... Um, so I remember Grandpère showing me how to prune you know, the angle, how you hold the pruner, and, and you know the blade and the what you call the la contre la contre-lame, uh, counter blade, uh, where to position it, what angle to position it, how many buds to leave per spur, how to clean the vine, not make dangerous cut that would shave the vine. And so, I mean, it's, it's all technique. Mm -hmm. uh, and after that is you have to gain speed because there's tens of thousands of vines to do and you cannot sit there and contemplate the vine. And, so, so the vines we have here are about six feet, mm -hmm. five to six feet. So they're not short. The ones that you learned to prune mm -hmm. on are only 
two and a half feet two tall. Two feet tall, yeah. So where you're squatting down? Now you knee down pretty much, yeah. I mean, you bend down, and then when your back is shut, you knee down, <laughs> and you move one knee at a time. But yeah, here it's completely different. You know, we come at this height. Yeah. Our arms get tired. Yeah, yeah. Especially the short line makers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so weather-wise, we talked about just the last few days. Overall, what do you feel this winter has been like in comparison to previous winters? Well, I mean, I, this winter and, and the spring and summer, I mean, going forward, um, it's completely different. You know, I mean, I, I have been here 40 years um the last 10 years it's a drastic difference and the last 10 years we have spring frost almost every year mm -hmm. which we never used to have that i agree um, i feel like it's barely 10 years i don't think mm -hmm. i don't recall any major frosts when i was a kid yeah exactly but every the last 10 years you yeah. remember almost almost every year every, exactly so and they and the, the frost used to be earlier. They mm -hmm. always used to be first week of May, test club mm -hmm. testing. And now it's um, mid April to the end. And from mid April on, you don't know what to expect and you have to be ready for that. Um, I agree. We have a lot of sleepless weeks now. Summers are weirder than ever. Um, last year was exceptional. We had a drought, so we had to turn irrigation, which is okay because I always say you can turn the water on, but you cannot turn the sky off. Mm -hmm. And we have had in the summer um, more rain. Um, so rain for us in the summer is humidity, it's fungus, it's excess of foliage. It's not the best. Right, it's dilution of all the ripening that we're working yeah. so hard to set with pruning to begin with. So a dry summer, I'm not going to say it's welcome, but it's easier to deal with and we can anticipate a better quality. So I'd rather see a drier, it doesn't mean dry, not a drought summer, but a drier summer is better than a wetter summer. But I feel that, um, you know, we will have to learn how to deal with all those changes, you know, being, you know, the, the grass management in, uh, on the vineyard floor, the canopy management, you know, length of the shoot, um, number of leaves, um, just to minimize uh, fungus, you know, so that's something we, something that we would have to adapt, and it's not impossible. It's just a matter of it's being ready mentally for it. So. Do you feel all the changes that you've experienced in the last fifty years of dealing with grapes? Say, you know, mm -hmm. you were 10, yeah. mm -hmm. 11, with grown pears, seeing what mm -hmm. you saw in France, and then moving here. Do you feel that the last decade has been the fastest changing in comparison oh, yeah. to the previous decades? Oh yeah. The first 20 years, the first 20 years in Wisconsin, I mean, you know, okay, 10 years in Beaujolais uh, during schooling and my teenage and during schooling, the first 20 years here, the first 20 years here, there was zero change. I mean, it was winter 
from um, November 15th to March 15th. Snow on the ground. And then after that, we have, uh, that's weird, we have rain in December. We have rain in the winter. And then it's becoming less and less. And the last two years, are just like, uh, where is the snow? Yeah, we're on a yeah. water deficit. Yeah, where, exactly. So where is the water going to come from? And granted that vineyard can do okay without water on like soybean, corn, at planting time and so on. Right, and we're also lucky too, unlike a lot of other wine growing areas, we have water. Oh, wait, so. by the Great Lakes, you know. Yeah. But yeah, for mm. us, this is really different for what we're used to. Yeah, yeah. And, um, um, yeah, water, it's better for us to get the water in the winter, Absolutely. you know, early spring, and not in July and August when we don't want it. So, right. Right. so I'm touching about climate change for a while. Um, do, is there anything in the next, so besides maybe fungus and pests, we've already talked about water and snow. So with fungus and pests and maybe temperatures, how do you feel that's going to affect? What are we seeing right now? Or what have we seen in the last decade that's different? Um, I think we've seen more fungus. Um, I don't think we have witnessed a huge changes on bugs. I, I kind of feel like Japanese beetles... Those, I don't remember those in school. We didn't yeah. talk about those in school, yeah. like when I was going through horticulture and then even in wine, my wine yeah. masters. I feel like Japanese beetles really happened maybe just just after, in between my bachelor's and my mm -hmm. master's here yeah. on our site. Yeah. I don't think we really had them before that. I remember working in the vineyard in the summers, yeah. just, you know, trying to work around them. But I, I feel I, like... And maybe spotted Windrasafala. That one's new for us. That, that's new for us. But Japanese beetles, I don't know if Japanese beetles are... That, that would be an interesting research paper to do or to look into. I don't know if it's weather-related. The Japanese beetles, what we were told, it, it was a migration, you know, from the... Independent of temperature. Independent so of temperature. Not because it, it's getting warmer here. Just no, it was more a storm and wind, wind and storm driven, mm -hmm. where some part of Minnesota and Wisconsin did not, East Wisconsin, Minnesota did not have Japanese beetles when we already had them. Um, and, you know, Japanese beetle looks ugly. But it does not affect the huge uh, solar capture for photosynthesis. They chew the top. It looks bad. The tender stuff. They chew but the tender it, stuff. But it, it, it's not affecting ripening. It will affect ripening if you're starting to lose uh, the big photo capture for maturity or maturation. So I'm not so concerned with uh, Japanese beetle. The the fly, the spotted wing, the spotted wing Yeah, that was that's a concern. But I feel like we have, uh, we know a lot more on how right. to control it. Trapping for it, yeah. And, it. and with your help and under your leadership, we are paying more attention to it. And I think we have a good handle on that. What I'm more concerned is powdery mildew, mm -hmm. uh, which. Uh, it seemed to be a worldwide issue 
new strains, uh, reinventing spread program. Uh, we all dream of organic and bio fungicide. Uh, not ready for that in Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin is too wet and too humid to contemplate organic grape growing. Does that mean we shouldn't try it? No, we are introducing more and more uh, biotechnics, any from floor, from grass management, floor management, canopy management, and weed management. We are introducing more and more bio approach than ever because nobody likes the chemical part, uh, but you cannot walk away from it, not yet. So you want to talk a little bit more about that, about what we're doing maybe from the ground up biologically? So something that we've done um, 20 years ago uh, in anticipation of the changes of rainfall and, um, you know, using herbicide in the vineyard, uh, we had seen um, erosion underneath the row, and that, that's not a welcome sight. When you are, uh, when you are witnessing um, showing of the roots, loss of topsoil underneath the vine, I was like, ah, oh, that's scary. We cannot continue to do that. And that's when we invested heavily in mulching. Uh, so we got mulch from the villages of Prairie Sac and Sauk City. We pay for the transportation of those. We had them uh, analyzed at various universities for uh, the carbon nitrogen ratio, for heavy metals, for uh, trace of uh, permanent um, pre-emergent herbicide, or uh, we for sure didn't want any. A 2,4-D residual herbicide. Right, and which is commonly like. used in the weed and feed. Exactly. Yes, yeah, by, all, by most of the lawns. So we wanted to make sure we didn't have any of that. And it all came uh, with good results. Right, and the lucky thing is the villages compost that yes. for years before anything comes to us. Exactly. And um, we, the only thing we realize is a little bit of acidification of the soil which we can um, um, correct with uh, application of lime. So <clears throat> we invested into a trailer that can shoot the mulch underneath the vines, either on the right side or on the left side and so on. And every winter we apply that mulch underneath the row. What it has done is completely suppressed uh, uh, erosion. It has uh, saved moisture from evaporating. Um, it is creating a nice uh, micro bugs, fauna environment underneath the mulch and pulling the organic matter uh, into the root zone. Um, so we are going to continue that. Um, we're doing more and more soil aeration uh, to help penetration of the water, air, oxygen, and so on. Um, we're trying to minimize compaction, and that's not easy. I mean, we have to be 
out there with equipment and trailers and tractors and sprayers and so on. Um, we just, um, last two years, we've done with radishes, uh, you know, the daikon radish, the radishes. It's pretty amazing, and we're going to continue to do that. How big, what was the biggest daikon that you saw? It, it, had, it was just on the edge of a row. It had to be 18 inches tall. <laughs> it was crazy, and it would, it had to be uh, five inches in diameter, four inches, four inches in diameter, yeah. but it had to be 18 inches tall. I saw you bring that one in for Chef Roman. Yeah, Check exactly. It out. Did he eat it? Yeah, they tried yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it was good. I mean, it, it, they peeled it, peeled some. It, it was, uh, it was interesting. It was good. But what's exciting this coming year is. Um, we purchased a new mower that can mow underneath the road, and it has some hydraulic sensors that, soon as it senses a post, a vine, even a baby vine, it will um, it will remove itself and then come back in right away. Uh, so we can mow twelve feet wide. So we mow the grass section plus about a foot underneath the vine and the idea of that is uh not wanting to uh, <coughs> excuse me not <coughs> not wanting to apply herbicide you know one herbicide a year is good it's needed i'm okay with that but then there's no there's no reason to reapply herbicide uh, another year, another time, another time, another time. And there's a point where, okay, I'm okay to deal with weeds, but I don't want the weeds to be tall and growing. Um, right, and we don't want the weeds right under the vine because it keeps humidity, yeah. it harbors pests, it harbors fungus. And, right? So we're and, trying to keep that really clear right underneath the vine. And also stop the wind and the wind from blowing through uh, underneath the canopy. Um, and it's a nutrient uh, right, scavenger, exactly, yeah. Uh, so mowing the weeds is something that we're going to do instead of applying more herbicide. You know, I, I'm just tired of tired of putting stuff on the ground that is um, that is not good for the environment. You know, and. Uh, um, you have to think about we're drinking the water, we're drinking the wine, and uh, safer is better. Right. Our family's been here for over 50 years. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like a lot of fa farming families feel that same way. Yeah. And doing it for the next generation. Yeah, we want to do that to protect ourselves now, too. Mm -hmm. But it's more the long-term view that we have, whether it's the winemaking part or the farming yeah. side of it. Well, I, I think uh, uh, preserving and cleaning the environment you know letting 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 nature uh, correct itself and regain strength uh, away from uh, man intervention negative negative man intervention right so, yeah. so. what about in the soil we talked a lot about soil health this winter and mm -hmm. even last year too we were doing a lot of things to amend our soil health which has been pretty good but something that we wanted to keep focusing on. So we're talking about some of the biologicals. Do you want to talk a little bit about maybe where we're doing that to help maybe free up some of those nutrients in the soil? 
Yes, uh, so uh, we've been working with a longtime friend of ours, um, Larry Thini, and he's uh, teaching us and uh, encouraging us to use uh, more and more, uh, I would call it biomass, mm -hmm. um, that is uh, helping uh, uh, to free up microelements and that are already in the soil, but not um, available to the plant. And a very small, tiny, uh, timely application of those... Um, those biologicals, those microbes. But those microbes will help to free up more nitrogen, more phosphor, more boron, um, more of those elements that are needed for the vines. And, um, you know, spending a lot of time talking with, uh, with Larry, uh, everything is there, but it's just not free and uh, not available. So we are really, really um, pursuing that aggressively. Um, so everything we have done with him has worked. Um, we also are, are using Kitchen. Chitin. Chitin yeah. eaters, uh, which are little microscopic uh, nematode to kill bugs, uh, to kill larvae, and we like Japanese beetles and phylloxera, and we feel like it has already made a difference. Uh, so those are new things. Another things we're going to do this year is uh, put manure, composted manure. Um, on the grass, uh, trying to broaden the root zone uh, of the vines so it's not really, not only under, uh, under the vine, but everywhere. So, you know, soil aeration, um, uh, loosening uh, with the radishes, um, bringing more organic matter, it's all good. Uh, stuff for the soil in the future. So it's all about better, better grapes, better wine. Speaking of future, so this Friday we are going to Green Bay, which I've never been to Green Bay. You've never been to Green Bay? No. Oh man. You um, took us to Fond du Lac a few times. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we ever went to Green Bay. But so we're going as a family this weekend. Um, check out Lambeau Field and do a, a dinner there um, with our Packers sponsorship. Do you want to mm -hmm. talk about, so even as a Frenchman, who loves Harleys mm -hmm. and lots of other Wisconsin things, but the Packers is one of your great loves, which is oh, surprising yeah. for a Frenchman. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, I play, I, uh, since I can walk, I played soccer. Mm -hmm. um, I coach soccer here in Soccer Prairie. I played indoor soccer um, until my early 50s, and then it was time to quit. Who um, got you into American football? Uh, my American family, the Marxes. Uh, so during family reunion, they would watch football. I couldn't understand what's first down, what's, what's um, second and three. and I, So... I needed some uh, coaching and explanation and, and explaining, and, and now I love it. And love it to the point of uh, 
Um, I don't like baseball. I still don't. I, I don't think I will ever understand baseball. I'm not interested. But football is a different story. Mm -hmm. And um, watching the Packers all the time, watching um, uh, Chicago lose is a pleasure. Um, what about Taylor Swift's boyfriend? I, I'm... <sighs> Your That's, grandkids might enjoy that. Yeah, I should ask my granddaughter, who is Taylor Swift. No, I know, but I, I'm not really big on all that stuff. But, you know, the partnership with the Packer is something that we cherish. Um, they came to us. They asked us if we would be interested. Just, just that is an honor uh, to be approached by them. Um, and, you know, they are um, owned by the... By, the, by uh, the citizen of Wisconsin and uh, the Packers had a very humble beginning, which is a lot like your grandparents, Bob and Joanne. Um, and they are just nice people to work with. Yeah, and, but I think the Wisconsin roots really speak, that speaks to our connection. Yeah, I think that's it, really, really deep there. And, you know, uh, local cheese, local meat, um, uh, local football, uh, local mo motorcycle brand, Alice, that I am a fan of, um, local food. It's just like this, it's a great Wisconsin spirit. And it's it just like, I don't think we can, uh, we can find a better team to be uh, partners with. And they really want this to be good for us as it should be good for them. So, it will be a, it will be a fun time at Lambo Friday. Yeah, and so we can find our wines at Lambo's. You guys mm -hmm. went to a few games. Yes, and mm -hmm. so you were able to find them throughout the stadium. Um, but beyond that, we're teaming up with other people around in stores for Packers. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you know, because we are a, a Packers sponsor, uh, the Packers are really good to uh, promote, uh, run promotion, run advertising with other Packers sponsors. So. You know, we can, um, we will have a broader distribution in some stores around the state uh, with new uh, packer boxes uh, for the Prairie Fumet, the Blushing Rose, the River Bowl, the Scarlet Fumet, the White Riesling. It, it will be nice. Uh, and it's, it's a great start and it, it will be even nicer the next couple of years. So of those five wines you mentioned, mm -hmm. what's your favorite for the Brat? Oh man, I you know being a red um, fanatic, I will take Scarlet Fumet uh, with a bra. But uh, Prairie Fumet, Scarlet Fumet will go will go all day. Yeah. I was thinking about Prairie Fumet and what I would eat with a cheese curd. I think I would take Prairie Fumet and cheese curds. Yeah, no, I go along with that. I mean, as you know, and I'm not shy to say, I'm not big on sweets. Yeah. Sweet wines um, outside of port, uh, but pray for me and scarlet for me uh, all day. Yeah, uh, it's been that way. So we're so. dreaming of summer, but the reality is that it's still winter here. Right? What? What? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so with a cold today, I, I can see a bird outside with a piece of straw. Actually, actually, it's a bluebird with a piece of straw, and the amateur is looking for a place to make a nest. So it's kind of winter. <laughs> Not yeah. So 
with winter, we still have a lot of winemaking, even though people think it, you know, it should be a quieter time. We're doing a lot of pruning, but we're also really focusing on winemaking still this time of year. So all of our harvest came in in the fall. Everything is fermented, but now we have a lot of work still. You want to talk about that? Well, you know, something interesting is I, your life, my life, my uncle's life, my grandpa, it, it's always about wine. And it is, it's always about wine. It's, I mean, it's, it's... There's no off time of year. No. I mean, it's, it's uh, I'm not going to say it's wine first. It's family first, but second to that is wine. I mean, it's wine. Wine is, wine is, uh, wine is our blood. Wine is uh, uh, what allows us to function, to grow, to buy, to hire, to, uh, wine, wine is, starts with the quality the quality of the wine. The quality of the wine is in the vineyard. So you cannot talk wine without talking grapes. Uh, and you grow the grapes to make the best possible wine. So wine for us, I mean, you and I taste wine every day, mm -hmm. 365 days a year. Sometimes it's two in the morning. Oh yeah, Sometimes exactly. It's two in the afternoon, but it's when it needs to be tasted. Yeah, and you know, tasting is, is a science, is... What makes it good? What makes it light, fresh, fruity, aromatic, concentrated, depth, uh, complicated, balance. balance, exactly, out of balance, what's going on? And, you know, I, at a young age, I was taught how to look for the flaws mm -hmm. of the wine, and then it's a kind of a elimination process. Mm -hmm. Can't find this, can't find that. Wow, it's good, it's good. Why is it good? And, and so on. It's, in, it's building blocks. Mm -hmm. And um, so right now, um, you know, it's tasting batches. It's, is it balance? Um, and what can we do about it? Not much. It's done in the fall. And now you don't, you know, it is against our belief to pull out the chemistry set and oh let's let's change this let's change that now that that's bogus it should not be done it will not be done you right, we're harvesting based on the wine we want to exactly so it has to be sweet enough in the field to be yeah. sweet or dry at a certain alcohol later yeah so you don't decide at the last minute oh i'm going to make prairie blush no it's decided month before right after you know at pruning and, and then uh, this field is going to be domain Bussac, and this field is going to be domain reserve, and then the prairie fumé, you know, the prairie fumé cannot be made at 23 bricks sugar, it doesn't work, cannot be made at 14 bricks sugar, there's a very specific uh, target numbers to, um, to make those wines. Um, so, even so, if it's not crushing and fermenting today, it's um you know what's coming up how the season is going to be how is this batch what what can we do next year um the temperature all the tools the yeast uh, i mean you guys are already talking about new yeast new experiment or enzymes and stuff like that so it's it's a constant it's always about wine all right and today we're filtering we're also bottling. Tomorrow, today, yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next week. Yeah. yeah. 
So bottling, bottling is uh, is all the time. You know, when the wine is ready, the quantity that we have to, the quantity we have to do, we have to spread it throughout uh, basically six months from January to uh, to July. You know, we in August we don't like to bottle. It gets too hot, too close to harvest. The mindset is into uh, the upcoming crush, uh, not not the bottling. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what about barrel aging right now? We still have a lot of wine in barrels, something that we need Lots. to taste yeah. <laughs> tomorrow morning, maybe. Um, how do you decide when a wine is ready in the barrel? Mm. And every year it's different. Mm -hmm. Every year it changes. And why? Because of the weather. Um, you know, it, I think it's, um, well, I was going to say, it's about a, about respect for the wine, and kind of let the wine dictate and tell you what it wants to be. And um, I mean, thank God we tasted from day one, you know, as great juice. At day two, before yeast inoculation, at day four when it's starting to ferment, at day fifteen when it's pressed. So we taste those wine all along. So you know, you have an idea from the growing season <clears throat> because of the weather. It's a light, bony, skinny year. It's a heavy year. So a light, skinny, bony year, you will have to pull it out of the barrel sooner mm -hmm. um, because you don't want the wood tannin to change the wine. And you certainly don't want to taste oak juice into your wine. Uh, so that would be totally out of balance. So a big, fatty, juicy, jammy year, wine might take a, a lot longer. So it's all about, um, you know, where the wine wants to be, um, what is right for the wine. Um, we don't really make wines that are always customer-friendly um, or designed. Popular. Popular, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not, a, it's not for us, it's not a popularity contest. It's more respect of what's going on in the vineyard. You know? Yeah, I mean, we, we deal with those uh, marketing-made wine every day. Right, but how fast do those change? Those change so fast. Yeah, exactly. Over and they, 50 years of what we've been doing uh, here, that's never how we've grown our business. Exactly, and those wines, to me, those wines are fake. Those wines are, um, they can come out of a, a plastic mold, mm -hmm. and they are designed in a lab. They are not designed in the video. So it's, it's a completely different approach, and that's something we are not about. Uh, for us, it's a very traditional approach, uh, some people might not like it, but it is who we are. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we promote uh, the grapes and the growing and the tradition. Um, and uh, we, we cannot grow Cabernet. Um, we love Cabernet. We buy Cabernet grapes. We make Cabernet wine, but it's, it's not the same as what we grow on the estate, you know, as grape growers. So 
we need to taste wine out of the barrels mm-hmm. tomorrow. Yeah. We do that every few weeks. It's getting to be that time. Mm-hmm. When we're done with that, since the bistro's upstairs, we usually taste right before lunch. Mm-hmm. What's your lunch pick tomorrow? Because I hear the there's a rumor about the menu is um, going to see pigs in a blanket again. Oh yeah, well that's every Saturday. <laughs> every Saturday when I'm here helping, running around, coming back from the woods, um, just checking with the crew, pigs in a blanket. Uh, awesome. I mean, it's just like master pigs in a blanket, maybe a glass of scarlet fumet and on the go. Yeah. Um, otherwise, um, I mean, I love every dish that is made at the bistro. Yeah. Um, because of uh, the authenticity of it. And the local ingredients. Exactly. I mean, Wisconsin flour to make the bread. Um, uh, local. I've been missing the flatbread with some of those local vegetables. They are coming back. They're coming back. Exactly. So. So, And the bread basket, Mm -hmm. which my kids will be really excited about. Well, I, you know, I I don't know if there's better bread than what, what Roman. Uh, mix, uh, not not local breads. Yeah. You know. We bring those baguettes everywhere. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for chatting. Yeah. This has been With the Winemakers on Wallershine Radio. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or CS Chat on YouTube. Please like, share, and subscribe so we're visible to more viewers just like you. Thanks. Mm-hmm.